This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. Now, here are your hosts, John Booker and Jeremy Casper. Welcome to the Inside Out Story. I'm John Booker, and I'm interested in why we tell stories. And I'm Jeremy Casper, and I am interested in the how we tell stories. Jeremy, today we have a special guest, and boy, we're in for a treat. Yay! We have Chris Krebsbach, who is a writer, a instructor, and all-around knowledgeable story person. Jeremy and I uh, are very, very particular about the people that we um, look up to in the story world and story community. And Chris is someone that we've worked with for a long, long time, and we really do uh, respect her opinion about stories. She's just got a wonderful, innate sense of story. So, Jeremy, what what do you like about Chris Krebsbach's uh, knowledge of story? I don't, I don't even know where to start. I think the, the thing that oh just God. amazes me so much about Chris is um, how fast she can figure out story problems. Um, there's so often times when we are, um, and, and I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, we all three teach together at the Los Angeles Film Study Center, and when we're critiquing films and reviewing films, um, she just has this innate ability to just say, well, if you just move this scene here and that scene there, you take this out and you go shoot these few shots, it'll all work just great. And I'm like, okay, start at number one again. <laughs> what was it that you said? I could get to that same conclusion in about a day, but she would do it like in five minutes. So um, she just, I think that beyond anything that Chris, you, you've just learned in school or, or just even through your personal experiences, I think that you just have this incredibly innate um, ability to understand story. And, um, and so that's, that's one of the things that I've really respected about her. So many times when she's talking in class, I just kind of shut up and listen. I'm like, oh, that's really good stuff. So, so I, love, I love it that she's here with us today. Well, thank you for that introduction. <laughs> Chris, tell, tell us a little bit. When did you first um, become interested in story? When, uh, when did you think, man, this is something that I, I really am interested in? Um, that is a good question. I guess I've always been interested in story. I had never really thought about the answer to that question, but, um, I was the kid that watched movies that even my dad was like, why would you watch that? It's in black and white. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, because it's so good. Um, so I think like I grew up really liking older movies and newer movies. Like I remember... The first movie I saw in the movie theater was E.T., which is still one of my favorite movies. Um, So I think I always liked story because I could find myself in the story. And then I really, I mean, I didn't think ever that I would have anything to do with story in my career, but um, I was also an actor and I got into theater more in college. and, um, And I think when you're... From an acting perspective, you have to pick apart a story from a different perspective than a, a writer or a filmmaker. So, um, yeah, the psychology of story and um, everything that it does. And now, even though I'm really still interested in film and writing, I'm also very just interested in people's stories in general and how telling your own story opens up the ability for other people to tell their stories and um, how it can be a really healing part of existence too. Mm. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, approaching story as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk just a little bit more about that? I know that when I give my scripts to people, you being one of those people um, who, who have a background in acting, the notes I get back uh, about the writing tend to be so different mm-hmm. um, than the notes that I get from someone who's just a writer. And they typically, at least for me, reveal things that I wouldn't have caught otherwise. So can you talk a little bit about sort of how your your background in acting really does affect the writing that you do? Yeah, when you, when you break down a script as an actor, you're looking so much at motivation of characters, but also goal. So um, I know you guys talk about external goal a lot, <laughs> right? So um, when you look at, and you do that for every scene as an actor, what's my goal in this scene and what's my obstacle to getting to it? And it's always, you always try to plant that goal in the other person, what you need from the other person. Um, or at least that's how, that's the background that I came from, from an acting school. And um, so, yeah, so you learn how to break down story for each character too. And when you take a directing class as a theater director, you're really looking at the motivations of all, all the actors on stage and how they relate to each other as well. Um, So you start kind of in that small detail of the scene, which works out farther to the, and all of your goals in your scene are supposed to fit within the spine of the overall story. So it's, it's story structure from a different perspective. From a character perspective. From a character perspective. And you learn like what, um, oh, this dialogue doesn't sound natural. I think that is one thing that I really like doing is doing dialogue passes of scripts because um, that's something that you you work with a lot as an actor because it's so much more dialogue heavy when you're on stage. So you learn, you can be in a play and you you learn what's good dialogue and bad dialogue um, because not all plays have good dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what about that uh, coming from a theater background Mm -hmm. and then making the transition to writing things that are meant for the screen? Uh, more cinematically, uh, what are some of the the nuances or challenges you've had to face in terms of, of that sort of transition? My biggest challenge, I think, in writing films is um, to not be too talky or to try to get too much information in. Um, because again, from the theater, it's when you read a play, if you've if if you guys have never done that, you should go do it. Um, <laughs> if you've read a play, it's all dialogue. It's very minimal action. And even when you get into a theater, the action of the script is, most directors will say, throw all that out when you start, which is a little bit different than from the screenwriter's perspective. So in screenwriter, you're, screenwriting, you're trying to create this whole visual world um, that's different and theater is more imaginative in the visual aspects of the world. So my writing tends to be talky (laughs) and I have a a harder time sometimes with the action. It's easier for me to see that in other people's writing than in my own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as far as, as an instructor, someone who's critiquing scripts and that sort of thing, are there certain, um, uh, for the lack of a better word, just mistakes that you see writers just making over and over again. Anything that that jumps out at you that like uh, this is this is a common thing that writers tend to do um, mm-hmm. that that they need to they need to be aware of. Well, I think too much dialogue is one <laughs> um, show not tell kind of thing, and I think it's really it's much easier to tell. <laughs> 
through words what a person is is feeling or what they're seeing than it is to try to figure out how to physically show that. So I think that's one thing. Um, one thing that I see in writing that I critique a lot is hitting the same note or the same beat over and over and never moving the script forward. So you can waste a lot of pages um, not putting things in your script that move the story towards the end game of the story because you know, you like it or it's funny. Um, it's the killing your babies thing <laughs> of like having to sacrifice some of the things you love. That I mean, that's hard. That's really yeah. hard. That's a struggle I'm having and something I'm working on right now is that I know some things have to go, but I love all of those things. They're just not all working together as well as they should. So yeah. I have to pick and choose what I like most. I think every writer wants to have their work resonate with their audience and, mm-hmm. and have it, you know, feel emotional to their audience. Um, you know, in, in the writing that uh, you've done, in the writing that you've critiqued and read, um, have, have you noticed any trends or similarities in, in work that resonates with people? Or are there things that you look for in a script that causes the audience to... Um, more deeply connect with the the theme and the the story than other things. Mm-hmm. I this is maybe a little esoteric and not specific, but That's I okay. find yeah, thanks. <laughs> I find that <clears throat> I connect with things that are written out of a personal space. So even if it's a comedy, if it's written from a personal experience space of the writer, I tend to connect with those things. And I think that's true of audiences in general as well, that um, you can kind of feel when something's written out of your brain as opposed to written out of your heart, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think that's what makes things really connect those stories that are universal to our experience even if they're not exactly like our experience and you can only write those stories if you're writing out of your own experience Mm -hmm. (laughs) so well just to kind of build on that Mm -hmm. um question one thing that's been um discussed a lot in the industry in the last year or two especially has been uh the voice of women in uh the the story community and the script writing community and hollywood in general um a two-part question here. Mm-hmm. One, uh, do you are you seeing work from women that you think is strong and, and is um, uh, uh, underrated by larger Hollywood that should have a bigger voice? And two, what can you talk a little bit about? You know, some of the different things that women bring to story that uh, that men don't. Mm. Well, I think that. Yeah, I do think women's voices are underrated. Um, It's kind of an understood statistic now that the numbers of successful directors on the festival circuit are relatively even between men and women. But when it moves into getting funding for your films or working in mainstream Hollywood, men are by far given more chances. Um, So, and I'm totally blanking on her name. Um in a world who who wrote that in a world is a great movie that was at sundance and i want to say blake lively and it is not blake lively (laughs) um it's shoot i can see her in my in my head but anyway like that is an example of a film that was written 
and starred a female <clears throat> written by and starred the same person. Um, and she's gone on to do other things in the independent world. So I do think that independent scene is more open to female voices. I think you see that with how Lena Dunham came up um, and lots of other women that are also escaping my brain right now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think women are underrated because we don't pay attention to when a woman directs a film. We just see a film. I think sometimes I just assume that a film is directed by a man too. Mm. I think that's an Mm. unconscious bias. So Mm. I don't always pay attention as much as I should to who's directing it and supporting women filmmakers. Um, I do think, and I'm still trying to pick apart all of what this means. I do think that the female journey is different than the male journey. I Mm -hmm. think it's less externally driven. So I do think that, that they're, they're, this is a gross overgeneralization, but I, I think you do tend to see from women more of internal journeys of character, um, knowing they need a change, but not necessarily knowing how to go about that, which I think more the male characters you see, they're just going after something and they discover their change on the way, um, which is just a, a subtle difference. But um, yeah, so I think anytime that women's voices are not heard in any discussion, you're missing 50% of the conversation. So um, I'm happy to see that there's a trend in trying to turn that ship in a different direction right now. Just to further kind of unpack that a little bit, um, obviously one of the you know issues in, in men telling stories about women has been exploitation of women or, mm-hmm. or, or really untrue... Uh, portrayals of, of who women are. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, how, you know, the, the kind of that nuanced place of telling a truthful story about it, whether it be women's relationships or sexuality or something that often does get exploited, but that does need to be addressed in a, a true and honest and, you know, fair way. Um, how does how does that uh, how does that nuance work? Do you think men can tell those stories? Do you think those stories should only be told by women? Is all that's important the truth, or what, where's how do we tease that all apart? Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> if we could solve that question, um, yeah, I think that men can write female stories. Um, I don't think that all men can write female stories. I think that. Um, Gosh, my brain is totally going blank on names. <laughs> um, I'm just going to skip that because I can't. It's the headphones. It yeah, just maybe. It's right just out. like yeah. the room. And I don't have my phone in my hand. Um, but I think that there's ex- there are good examples of men that tell female stories. I, I would wonder if those men have really strong relationships with women um, or see women as more whole people, holistic people, because I don't think all men do that or were trained to do that by their fathers mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, what was the, what were the other parts of that question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just teasing apart the, um, uh, the idea of dealing with 
parts of women's journeys that are often exploited, like be it sexuality or be it relationships. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Most of the time, especially in, you know, relationship comedies, like um, uh, take Trainwreck, uh, for example, which obviously Amy Schumer um, uh, is an important figure, I think, in in film right now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but, you know, uh, Judd Apatow is obviously someone who spoke greatly into, you know, that script as well. But still, it feels honest, you know, uh, and yet there's still kind of edgy, funny, you know, parts. It, it, there's work mm-hmm. that seems to be walking that line of it's not that we have to get all serious when we talk about women's relationships and sexuality right. necessarily. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how are we kind of navigating that? culturally i think it's interesting because i i feel like the people the women that are able to be addressing that right now are in the comedy space Mm -hmm. um so amy schumer melissa mccarthy tina fey amy poehler they're doing sort of gross out humor for women now Mm -hmm. with kind of this understanding that women think it's funny too like Mm -hmm. women can enjoy this and um yeah i think that so many times you know, in terms of relationship or sexuality in film, that that it's easy to write a woman as sort of a prop, mm-hmm. um, not a fully developed person who has her own thoughts about her own sexuality and um, relationships, but someone who's just there to teach the man the lesson that the man needs to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's, it's interesting because I'm writing... A script right now about a young woman who discovers that she's pregnant after her boyfriend breaks up with her. And I I, I went and I was like looking up, I was trying to watch movies about, that had a comic feel but were about unplanned pregnancy. And I couldn't find one. And there might be some out there, but I have not yet found one that's written from the woman's perspective. So Knocked Up is kind of Katherine Heigl's story, but look at the cover of that Mm -hmm. DVD, right? It's really about Seth Rogen. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Nine Months, which is an old movie, but Nine Months is not about Julianne Moore finding out that she's pregnant in a relationship where they're not sure that they want a baby. It's really Hugh Grant's story. Mm -hmm. So Juno's written by a man. Right. No, Uh, uh, Diablo Cody. Yes. Yeah. And so that so that one, yeah, so that's really the only one that's about an unplanned pregnancy that's from the perspective of a young woman, but in that particular case, it's from the perspective of a teenager, mm-hmm. right? So it's still a stereotypical, not that it's a stereotypical movie because I love that movie, but a stereotypical <laughs> thought where like, okay, so the people that have unplanned pregnancies are teenagers. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting to me mm-hmm. because that is something that has happened to many of my adult female friends of like, oh, I'm pregnant. I'm not married. This guy's probably not even going to stay with me. Am I keeping this baby? Am I not keeping this baby? Um, so like that is an example, I think, of a female journey that we haven't seen much on film. And I think there's a lot of things in the female experience that um, are harder to explore maybe because they're really, how do you externalize that internal struggle, mm-hmm. I think is what's difficult. Mm. 
Is is theater a, or any other medium a better medium? Because this film is so visually driven. I mean, we we are constantly telling our student our students that film is all about the externalization mm-hmm. of internal goals. We got to get stuff out so we can photograph it. Does that help or hinder female stories, or does it matter? Any thoughts on that? Um, again, I think those are things that I'm just kind of starting to think about. But yeah. I I don't know that it helps or hinders, but I think that it's a challenge. It's mm-hmm. a new challenge of how do I externalize this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality, the reality is when you start to externalize something, then it becomes an external problem. So you do take it from the internal, but that is film. I do think that maybe theater could be considered a better um, venue for that because of dialogue. Mm-hmm. So because you're so dialogue heavy <clears throat> and you might... You might have one scene change or two scene changes of location in a stage play, but you're pretty much in the same place the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it is not as much about the visual mm-hmm. there as the dialogue. So, um, yeah, so it might be easier to write those stories mm-hmm. in, well, and certainly in in novel form. Um, there's a lot of great female protagonists in, mm-hmm. in novels. Mm-hmm. But even as you see some of the... Some of the more action-packed um, films that have come from novels, so the Hunger Games series or the Twilight mm-hmm. series, mm-hmm. those books are really such a female teenager journey and yeah. very internal. And you, those, a lot of the internal parts of those stories have had to be stripped away. Mm. Not, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but mm-hmm. it is a difference in in how you have to adapt to a different. Form. Regardless of the gender of the character. I mean, that's right. just part of the adaptation of a book. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what about, um, <clears throat> how are you feeling about like television? I'm thinking about like Orange is the New Black, where we're getting stories of, of older women. You yeah. know, you think about characters <laughs> like Red, you know, and these women in their 50s and 60s, you know, who, uh, when's the last time we, you know, have, have seen those stories portrayed? Mm-hmm. Um, do you think television might be a better? Um, um, medium for expressing those things or maybe it's just a more available medium because there's so much uh, so many distribution channels that the field is wider to do more interesting work or I think that more interesting internal journey work is being done on television because you have so many episodes so you're not orange is the new black could easily have been optioned as a movie and it would be a completely different mm-hmm. piece of art than mm-hmm. what we're seeing. I just actually yesterday finished the new season and it's my it's my favorite season since the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went into social commentary, they went deeper into these women's lives. So for four years now we've been watching the backstories of these women. I think that their that particular show, um, just the structure of it and the flashbacks that they use to reveal who the women are is like, that's one of my favorite female stories right now. Hmm. Um, and yeah, the season was, I just, I, like, I can't give any spoilers <laughs> away. It's just so, I mean, I found myself like sobbing at the end of mm. some of the episodes because you get so deeply into mm-hmm. the pain of these women. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have been able to get there in two hours. Yeah. It's been, you know, four 
70 some episodes, I think, or mm-hmm. 50 some episodes with the same people yeah. um, and exploring who they are. And so I, I do think that television has the opportunity to do that. And not just for women, for men too. I mean, you're seeing yeah. that. That you show just get impacts to know. me yeah. more than any show right now. That's yeah. it's one of my favorite shows. And, you know, there's there's only one or two male characters on there at all and only maybe one male character that is worth a damn, yeah. you know. And so, but it doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. That's not, you know, um, that story and those characters and that internal journey, it hits me hard, yeah. hard. And what's interesting about that show as just like a specimen of um, of media is that I think it's interesting that they're very visual with the stories of the women because they're able to go into the backstory visually, but they're not doing that with the male characters of the show. So the male characters tend to be more talky because they have to like say, well, this is who you are to each other for us to know what their background is. So that's interesting to me Um, because I think it's different that the, the male characters tend to be more flat for sure. Um, they're sort of either good or evil. And like you said, there's one character that I would say, maybe two that are really nuanced. Um, but they're generally either good or evil at one time. You don't mm-hmm. always see the mix of that as much as that as they're doing with the female characters on that show. But I do find it interesting that most of, like all of their backstory has to be revealed through dialogue. So yeah, I just think it's just an interesting project and... I like it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Well, just, just to go back to feature films, just real yeah. quick question for you. We, I think that we are starting to see an increase in you know some female lead characters, mm-hmm. uh, even in some of these big franchises. You know, like we just had the Force Awakens with Rey, and now with Rogue One, we're gonna have another two Star Wars films in a row. They're gonna have you know female protagonists. Uh, we've got uh, you know um, all the characters in the Marvel universe and and uh, and in the DC world as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so in some of the big franchises, we're seeing we're starting to see an increase in these female characters. Um, any thoughts on that though? Uh, in terms of um, is are these necessarily the best portrayals of of female protagonists? Is this is I think it's easy to look at this and say, hey, you know, we have we have we've added a female, you know, mm-hmm. to the Star Wars formula. Good on us, you know, yeah. like, have we have we done our job? Have we done, are, are there still things that we're missing uh, in terms of the portrayal of, of women in, in not only those genres, but just across the board? Well, I think all of those that you mentioned are pretty deep, nuanced characters. So mm-hmm. I think it it is, yeah, it is good. Mm-hmm. I know that... Um, I'm sure there was more than one, but I know of at least one producer on the development team for Star Wars, and that was they they worked hard to make that film representative of actual female population mm-hmm. of a strong female lead character, and obviously, you know, the whole team working together had to be on board with that. But I know um, Kiri Zuper Hart was one of the voices in that discussion, and she's, you know. She purposefully wanted to develop a strong female lead. And so I think it's all about intention. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I would say that it's hard to answer the question, is there anything still missing? 
probably, <laughs> but women are, you know, so different. So yeah, there are definitely stories that are missing. Um, I would like to see, honestly, probably what's missing, like female stories are missing in general. I don't think that we're, I, I think we're still falling into the trap of mostly seeing Caucasian female stories, mm-hmm. yeah. which is not completely true, but, um, so I guess that would be the next voice is like, yes, we're starting to learn how to tell female stories and have female lead characters, but how do we now expand that voice farther? And that's a bigger conversation too, because that's obviously true for men on screen and as well. Good. Um, Chris, can you um, talk a little bit about, uh, um, I'm going to, give you part of this question then let you think about it a second while I'm talking about it for a second okay. but uh, can you can you think of um, maybe a film that's come out in the last year that has really um, been what you would consider <clears throat> an example uh, uh, in a moving on from the gender uh, discussion so it doesn't have to be you know uh, gender uh, uh, an answer based on you know mm-hmm. gender um, but a film that you you felt like um, really resonated, you know, as far as saying this is what movies can do. This is what cinema can do. This is this is why we can't just move everything to television and just say, ah, oh, let's not even make these two-hour feature films anymore. Because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, a lot of writers um, that's their strong suit. That's their format. Not every writer is capable of developing a story or a character that can last 70 episodes you know so um just kind of moving back to film and what film can actually do and accomplish Mm -hmm. um have you seen an example uh that you you felt that way about in the last year or so um gosh i think i would say that about um spotlight Mm -hmm. i would say that about the big short I think film has the ability to take a huge story and cram it into a really tight box, which has a lot of emotional impact. I think if the big, you know, as opposed to Orange is the New Black, if the big short had been developed into a series, eventually you would just get bored. Like you sort of need that compact storytelling to pack the biggest punch, I think. Um, And I just think, film as a form is enjoyable for different reasons because you have this one-off availability where you can sit down with two hours and you can have this fun laughing experience or you can have an action-packed experience or you can um definitely I think for action I I feel like film is is great Star Wars again on television is not going to be the same as watching it on a huge screen and hearing it the way you do in a theater so I think the film experience and um, the theater experience are important to some films in particular. But I think also, yeah, just the the compactness of a film, I think, is important as well. Yeah. I, I remember, Jeremy, I remember you saying uh, in the last year, uh, making that statement about the movie Room, that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember you saying, oh, that's this is what film can do. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good example, too, of a... Uh, a story, at least for me, that transcends. Um, there's not a ton of action in it, you know. There's not a ton of external 
stuff that happens. Yeah. There's there's a couple of big moments, but for the most part, it's pretty internal, you know, journey. Um, but I think that's where writers who are capable of visual metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like the the little cardboard snake that she makes, you know, with the kid and, you know, that represents the, the bad guy, you know, yeah. who's keeping them there and just uh, the window, you know, and the roof, those, those type um, um, tropes and symbols, you know, uh, I think um, are something that work better. It's not that you can't have symbolism in a TV show. You should, should yeah. but I think sometimes symbols... A well-chosen symbol in a film knocks it out of the park harder than it does in television. Yeah, I, I think I agree, and and I think that I really think that that is one of the things that is missing so much in so much of American cinema right now. Mm-hmm. And I think we've struggled with that for a long time. Um, but uh, I remember it was an interview I saw recently with. Um, or was it an interview. I don't remember where I got the information, but it was Dennis Murin, uh, the ILM guy who's been doing all the special effects, and he was talking about how you know today with with virtual cinema and and these digital cameras and and this digital world we rec- we create, he said we shoot things just because we can, um, almost like uh, um, um, Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. You know, we 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 never really stop to think if we should <laughs> shoot a film this particular way. And he talked about the nuances of, of creating the opening sequence for Return of the Jedi and uh, just the, the camera angles they chose and the reason they framed the shot certain ways. And it was all to communicate, you know, the, the size of the empire and the, the, the tininess of, of, of the, the good guy. And, and it's all telling story. And it's just something that I don't know if we see so much in, in cinema. And, and so when I see that, like in Room, and I see these visual metaphors. That's that's when it's like, yeah, this is this is film doing something that a book can't quite do, that that the theater and the stage can't quite do. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to see. I want to see more of that for sure. Yeah, when it's when film is executed well, it can't be it can't be executed that way anywhere else. Mm-hmm. I think you're right though. I don't. I think a lot of film is lazier than it used Mm -hmm. to be you know like if you kind of go back and look at or maybe it's just that we have so many films now that um you know we look at the classics now and we think oh this is so great but there were a lot of other films that year that no one's ever watched again so um but yeah well and when you're talking about visual metaphor and the difference between film and television, if you bring a visual metaphor back in season three that you had in season one, the majority of your audience is not going to catch it. Mm-hmm. So you can, our, our attention spans can keep track of, I think, some of the these nuances yeah. in an hour and a half to two hours that we can't keep track of over years. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Good. Yeah. Well, Chris, tell us a little bit about uh, what's, uh, what's coming up for you. Uh, what you. You, I think, are in the middle of working on a pretty big writing project uh, right now and what's uh, what's kind of the future looking like for you? Well, I'm working on a screenplay right now, like I mentioned before, um, with some friends and the idea is that we're going to go after some funding sources and try to make that film. Um, but it's a female journey story. The two, two of the three, I would say, main characters are women and um, they're sisters and when we did a live reading of the script, it was uh, the you know 
Charlie and Emily forever <laughs> after afterwards. Um, so people really loved that that journey and that relationship. So I'm working on that and hoping to have that done soon, <laughs> um, or at least the the next draft or so done soon. Um, yeah, I'm working on participating in a in a book that's talking about spiritual journey in television Mm -hmm. so i'm looking at the unbreakable kimmy schmidt for that which (laughs) has been really fun because i have an excuse to rewatch that (laughs) um yeah and where can people find you on social media what are my handles um i think i'm chris underscore Krebsbach on Twitter. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, I have a, a blog that's, but again, I'm so bad, you guys. ChrisKrebsbach.wordpress. Whatever the WordPress one, <laughs> but it's my name with no space. Um, eventually that will just be ChrisKrebsbach.com, but I haven't gotten around to buying that yet. So um, yeah, so that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thanks for being with us today. We really appreciated your insights and uh, best. Good with to be here. We love Chris Krebs. <laughs> yes, we do. Thanks. All right, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Inside Out Story. Keep telling stories. This is the Inside Out Story podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. For more information on the story, the host of the show, upcoming speaking engagements and seminars, visit our website at theinsideoutstory.com. The Inside Out Story podcast is a production of Sideshow Media Group.